you can't go into the book of Acts. I mean, you can't read the book of Acts and not talk about signs and wonders. I mean, it's just all throughout it, right? It's just all throughout it. I remember many years ago, I was at Belmont and <clears throat> there was uh, two, two young ladies, Julie and Beth, and they were a, a sophomore and a junior, and they were going to go on their first mission trip. And they were going to go to some South American country. I can't remember uh, where now, but they, uh, they came to me and said, hey, we're going to go with this, uh, this agency that goes down to South America. And I'm not, it's, um, but it's not a Baptist one, Jason. And I'm like, okay. And, you know, and, and so you think it's all right? I'm like, go, man. And so they go down there and, and I said, what are you going to be doing? We don't really know. I'm like, well, that's good. You're 20. You'll figure it out, you know. And uh, I'm sure your parents aren't wigging out at all that you're going to some South American country. and You don't really know what you're going to do, but you're going to go in the name of Jesus. And, and so they go down there. And the next Sunday, uh, Julie and Beth come up to me at church and they, they, their eyes are as big as like baseballs. And they said, we need to come see you. And I said, okay, you getting married? No, that's usually what it was about uh, at college students, you know. And, and uh, so they come to my office the next day, and Julie sits down, Beth sits down. And Julie's from Kentucky and uh, grew up in a small town in Kentucky, and Beth was from Philadelphia. And, and, um, and Julie said, um, we, we need your help. And I said, okay. What, what? She said, well, we were, there was this man. We were praying in this village, and he had a withered hand. And that's not uncommon. She said, but his hand was withered. And not only was his hand withered, but his arm was short. Maybe by about three or four inches, it was a little shorter than the other arm. And we were praying. And I, I don't know, I was just praying. I just, you know, I was. And she said, for whatever reason, I had my eyes open. And she said, I watched this man's arm grow. And I watched his little withered hand open up. And, I, and he could move it. She said, what do you think about that? And I said, I said, hallelujah. I said, praise God, Julie, why are you here? You took up my time for this? She said, I've never seen anything like that. I said, neither have I, but I know it happens. She said, and then, then the question came. She said, what am I going to tell my mama? And what am I going to tell the people at my church who helped pay for this trip? I said, you go back to Kentucky and you tell them that you saw Jesus heal somebody. That's what you tell them. We're going to talk this morning. You can't deal with the book of Acts. You just can't. It's all in there. You got to deal with it. So I want you to turn to Acts chapter 5 and... We're going to talk about some things that were going on. This phrase is used many times. We're going to talk this morning about the reasons why God still performs miracles. Why does God do that? So in Acts chapter 5, this is what you see. It says, um, so here's what's happening. Ananias and Sapphira have just lied to the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, not, not just to, to the to Peter, that he, they lied about some property, and so the Lord um, literally took them off the planet. That was a sign and a wonder. I mean, no, no kidding, it, it really was. And it says in verse 11 of chapter 5, and great fear, great fear came over the whole church 
and over all who heard these things. And at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. Acts 5.13, it says, none of, the, none of the rest of them dared, to, now this is talking about the community, in other words, none of the rest of the community dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem, meaning that the, the community didn't want to get involved, but they also were revering what, what the Lord was doing among the believers. It says in verse 14 that all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly being added to their number to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and they laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any of them. Meaning that there were people coming from all over hearing about the sick being healed. And they, 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 and it's not uncommon. Some thought Peter might have had some magical power. That, that was kind of consistent with the thinking in that day. And, and Peter obviously didn't have any magical power. But people didn't know that. They were coming from all over. It says in verse 16, Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits and they were all being healed. So what was the reason? What's the reason that, that God still performs miracles today? The last thing Jesus said to the apostles and to all the people and the disciples and the community of believers, last thing Jesus said was in Acts 1-8 as he's ascending to the Father, he says this, he says, you will receive power right? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. You will receive power. Now, that's dunamis, that what, that, that, uh, the word with which we get dynamite. Why would, why would Jesus give us power? Power through the Holy Spirit. Why? why? And why does power matter? That's the real question. Why does power matter to clear view? Why does the power of God matter to clear view? I'll tell you why it matters. Because you can't see people delivered from depression by just thinking better thoughts. It takes the power of God to do that. You can't just see people overcome shame just by thinking better thoughts. No, it takes the power of God to unshackle somebody from shame. You can't see somebody get find forgiveness for somebody that abused them 20 years ago just because they so happened to find the perfect counselor that helped. Counselors are amazing. I mean, I believe in them with all of my bones. I believe in counselors, but I'm going to tell you, it takes the power of God to break through and change a person. Amen. It, that's why. So listen, we're not playing around up here. We're not playing around at this church. If you're a guest this morning, we believe that God heals people. We believe that God touches people, that he, that he can deliver you from your sins, and then he can give you the power to walk through this life together. It's not just better thinking, it's power. So I want you, if you're, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down. I really do. I want you to write this down. God demonstrates power to draw people. That's the reason he heals people. God demonstrates power to draw people. All through the book of Acts, what you see when God's doing these things, signs and wonders, when he's doing this, it's not just because he can show off. Listen, he already made the Rocky Mountains, all right? He's, not, he's doing it to draw people. That's why. God demonstrates power to draw people. But there's a problem. Now, I'm going to tell you something this morning, and um, I thought long and hard about this, and this is what I'm going to tell you. 
I don't normally use Sunday morning time to talk about stuff going on in the church. I mean the church with a capital C, the the universal church. But I'm going to take a little time this morning because I really do believe you need to know it. And the reason that I don't ever deal with Christian issues and things going on like in, you know, denominations and all those kinds of stuff, I don't, you just don't care. And most of the time you shouldn't, okay? But this morning you should care because let me tell you, this has been around for 50, 60, 70 years, maybe even longer than that. But in the last 15 years, last 10 to 15 years, you've seen a resurgence in something that the the church, and and I'm not going to call names, and I would never do that, because they're they're good people. But there are a lot of very good theologians, great theologians, that believe that the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like miracles, gifts of healings, that those ceased when the, when the New Testament church went out, okay, that's many, many, there's many, if I called names, you'd be like, oh, wow, they're a cessationist? Yeah, there's many cessationists, meaning it ceased. And here's what a cessationist is. This is just Jason Cruz's definition. Um, one, I would, I should first, well, no, that'd be mean. I'm not going to say that. But here's the real definition. One who believes the gifts of the Holy Spirit ended or ceased with the end of the early church and with the death of the apostles, it's very common, but you've seen a resurgence of that in the church. And let me tell you, it's coming from a good motive, man. It's coming from a good motive. And the motive is that people, people that really do buy into that line of thinking really don't like the circus. They don't like the counterfeits. And I'm saying, praise God for you, for you not liking counterfeits. You should never. I mean, it should make your heart break when you see people using the name of God for retail profit. It should break your heart when you see, you know, the people using God and in drawing forums just to have some side show. But I'm going to tell you something, friend, and listen to me. I am not going to stop talking about miracles and let the false prophets dominate the narrative. You hear what I'm saying? I'm not going to let the false prophets dominate the narrative because there are false prophets out there and Jesus told us about them. And so did Paul. And so did all through the New Testament. But I'm going to tell you something. My God still heals people today, absent from those in the freak show. All right? I'm not going to let him dominate the narrative. I'm just not. But I want you to think about something. I'm going to take just a quick second and help you with this idea of cessationism because it's very prevalent in the church today. Not this church. (laughs) Not as long as I'm here. (laughs) Okay? But it's very prevalent in the church today. And I want to tell you why I want you to, because you may take a different job. You may move. I may make you mad. You may quit, find somewhere else to go. That's happened before. But the, the reality is I want you to know, I want you to know this because let me tell you something. It'll suck the life out of you, man. It'll suck the life out of you if you don't believe God can do everything that he wants to do. Who are you to say, God, here's, here, let me tell you, let me t- I'm, I'm getting, I'm chasing rabbits in my mind and we'll stay with it. All right. Let me, let, me tell you, let me tell you what I want to get at here. If God quit doing miracles, then we got two problems. One, there's not a verse anywhere in Scripture that says that. Now, there's some small things in there that you can kind of interpret one way or the other. But I know what I've seen with my eyes, and I know what you've seen. Many of you have seen things. So, first of all, we don't have a biblical basis for that. Second of all, stay with me. If the gifts ended when the apostles died, the first, the band of apostles, if the gifts ended when the apostles died, and if the gifts went out when the church ended, 
then why did God spend so much time in his word telling us how to administer the gifts if we weren't going to need it? I mean, if we weren't going to need it, why, why is it in there? Why did Paul spend so much time talking about how not to have chaos? Why did Paul spend so much time talking about order? Why did Paul spend so much time talking about the way that, we, that, God, that God does that within the body? No, friends, those gifts are there, and they're there for a reason. They're there for a reason. I want to tell you something. When it comes to looking at who Jesus is, Jesus demonstrates power. He demonstrates power, and he demonstrates doctrine. And you, can't, you cannot have New Testament doctrine without New Testament power. Did you hear me? You can't have New Testament power without New Testament doctrine, friend. Because doctrine without power gives God no glory. You know why? Islam has doctrine. Buddhism has theology. New Testament, I mean, New, New Age theology is theology. It's just tainted theology, toxic theology. No, doctrine and power go together. Go together. And I, I want to say it this way to you so you won't forget it. God never intended for the Christian faith to be reduced to a better set of ideas competing with other world religions. He didn't. He did, not, he, he did not intend for that to happen, that we just somehow have a better philosophy about life. No, we have a risen Jesus Christ. We have a risen Jesus Christ, and that risen Jesus Christ comes with power, and he comes with authority. And he said in John, greater works you will do. Yeah, he did. So I want to give you, I don't know if this is great grammar or not, but I'm going to give you two nevers and one forever. All right? Two things never to do and one thing forever to do. And here's, here's what they are. Because God does demonstrate power to draw people. God demonstrates power to draw people. I would say never call abnormal what God calls normal. Never call abnormal what God calls normal. Don't, don't do that. You know what I would love to say to cessationists out there? So, so let me get you. This is, what, if I, this is what I would love to say. So God parting the Red Sea, that's, that's cool. Um, Elijah saying, hey, God, go. And fire comes from heaven. And then, you know, that's okay. Right? Jesus, wait for it, levitating off the earth, going into the clouds, that's okay. You know? But God healing somebody from cancer, oh, that's a freak show. Levitations, demons, the sea splitting, axe heads floating, the sun standing still. Let me tell you something. There's nothing normal about our faith. There's nothing normal about our faith, man. Jesus came out of the grave. He came out of the grave. There's nothing normal about that. Have you ever seen that before? No. That's why you're here. Right? Yeah, I'm, this is way better preaching than you're letting on. <laughs> I mean, that's why you're here. You're in the seat. You got up. It's cold this morning. I put on a tweed coat. You got in your vehicle and you drove to this place because Jesus got out of the grave. Right? That's not normal. Not even in Franklin, okay? I'm, I'm here to tell you that never call abnormal what God calls normal, man. Never call abnormal what God calls normal. Now I want you to look at what happens in verse 14 because something really interesting, and the Lord gave this to me this week. Man, oh, it was sweet. Verse 14. It says, and all that, you'll read right past this if, if you'll, I'm sorry, um, it's, uh, hold on. No, no, I gave you the wrong verse. Yeah, verse 12. Verse 12. If you, you'll read right past this if you read it fast. It says, At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. That's among the Christians. 
And they were all with one accord. They were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. Let me tell you, I, I don't normally get all into it. I, I, I go deep into the background verses and the Greek and all that stuff when I study, and I don't bring that stuff out on Sunday morning. I don't think there's time for it. But I'm going to tell you, that word, is, that word right there is an interesting word. It's homothumadon, and you know what it, here's what it means. It means they had one passion in their mind. They had one passion. See, they, it says they believed. And this is what I want you to hear, friend. And I wrote it down so I'd say it the way that I believe God gave it to me. And here it is. There was a manifestation of faith that was the foundation for the manifestation of signs. Now, wrap your mind around that for a minute. They believed that God could do anything. They believed that God could heal people from sickness and from foul spirits. They believed that God could cure diseases they believed that there was, in other words, they put no restrictions on God. They were of one passion. And that one passion was the foundation, the rock that that house was built on. You see, there has to be a manifestation of faith before there's a manifestation of signs and wonders. And, and, and so, so that, that, to me, I, that, that to me really made sense to me when I started understanding their mindset. I want to tell you, one of the greatest scams... One of the greatest scams the devil has ever, maybe the greatest scam the devil has ever perpetrated on the church is to somehow get Christians to doubt the very power of God himself. Do you understand the toxicity of that? Has it ever blown your mind that people that are cessationists never see God heal anybody? Well, why should he? Right? You don't believe in it. You don't, I mean, why show up if they already don't like you? That was for somebody. I don't know. But I'm telling you, God, God honors faith, friends, so never call abnormal what God calls normal. And I will tell you one other thing about two normal, I mean, two, uh, Two nevers and one forever. The second never is, is this. Never expect religious people to like it when God shows up. All right? I'm, I'm being honest with you. I'm not being a jerk. I'm not. I'm not being ugly. But I'm going to tell you, since the dawn of time, when Jesus shows up, religious people don't like it. I'm, I'm serious. Look at, look at verse 17. All this stuff, unclean spirits, people are being healed, the sick's being healed. And it says in verse 17, but... The high priest rose up along with his associates, that is the sect of Sadducees, and they were what? Filled with jealousy. And they laid hands on the apostles and they put them in public jail. They put them in jail. Man, it's no different now. Let me tell you what's going to happen. When the, when the Holy Spirit shows up and does things, when, when the power of God begins to work and set people free from anything that's going on in their life. And listen, it's not always just sickness, and it's not always these circus things that are happening. I, I, no, no, no. I'm not talking about all that stuff you see on, on TV that, that's just, that just gets out of control. I'm, I'm talking about when God delivers people from sin and addiction, when God delivers people and they testify about it, when people start experiencing God, usually religious people are going to do one of two things. They're going to try to squash it, or they're going to scatter. They're just not going to stick around. Because you see, when God, when God shows up, he stirs the pot. And a lot of people don't like pot stirrers. They don't like that. 
And, and, you know, it's no different in the day of Jesus, and it's no different in the day of the apostles, and it's no different in today's world. Don't expect religious people to get it. So what's the purpose then? God, God demonstrates power to draw people. He demonstrates power to draw people. What's the purpose of miracles? Very simple. All through the book of Acts, there's one reason that God would even do that. Only one. It, and in fact, it wasn't even for the person. It wasn't even for the person involved. Here you go. Signs are meant to show the way to a savior. That's what signs are meant for. Signs are meant to show the way to a savior. That's the whole purpose of signs and wonders. The whole purpose of God delivering somebody from sin. The whole purpose of God taking something like Julie saw when somebody's hand, you know, opened back up and, and began to, to, to move. The whole purpose of, of God demonstrating power to draw people was to point the way to a savior. And that's the entire reason that you see signs and wonders go down in the book of Acts. Because think about it, friends. If it was all just about healing, people would, oh, I want God to heal me. Well, you're still going to die. You do know that, right? I mean, you're still going to die. Unless Jesus comes between now and the time that you're supposed to die, you know. There was a guy one time, uh, somebody asked him, said, hey, do you, would you like to know the time you're going to die? He said, no, I just want to know the place. I said, what? You don't know the time you want to die? No, I just want to know the place. Why? Because I'm never going to go there. <laughs> right? He said, no, you're still going to die, man. You're still going to die. So even if God heals you, it's not about the person. And that's the circus. That's clown town when all that happens. No, God heals people. God delivers people. God heals broken marriages. God heals people from anger. God heals people from lust. God heals people from disease. God heals people from bitterness. And sometimes... God heals people from things like cancer. Sometimes God heals people to let them walk again and let them get back to life again. But all of it is to point to a Savior. All of it's to point to a Savior. Because when you see when it points to a Savior, look at what happened in verse 16. It said, all the people from the cities, that's people outside the movement. All, they didn't have the internet. They didn't have television. They didn't have radio. It said, people began to hear about this in the vicinity of Jerusalem. They were coming together all across the land. People were coming together and they were bringing their sick and their, un, their, their, their people that were afflicted with unclean spirits and they were being healed. The movement grew. You know what movements do? Movements move. Movements move. And so the Lord used signs and wonders to move his cause along. That's what he did. It's very simple, to point the way to a Savior. And you may say, Jason, I, I don't need all that. I don't need all that. Well, good for you. It's not really for you. It's for people that don't know Jesus. It's for people that, that attract, that, that, that need, oh my gosh, what, what's going on with those people? I hear, that, I hear that those people were on the brink of divorce and now they're not. And what happened? That's the question. It's to make people go, what happened? What, what caused that? Signs and wonders point people to a Savior because God demonstrates power to draw people. So you know how I've been praying for Clearview? I've been praying, God, you bring everything you want to this place. Everything, all of it. Because I know what's going to happen when he does. What's going to happen is we're going to tell people about Jesus. We're going to tell people about Jesus. 
Because the greatest miracle that ever happened is that, that Jesus would come down a cross, go into a grave, come out of that grave, just so you and I could take on the family name. That's the greatest miracle that will there will never be a miracle to top that. It's the greatest miracle of all that God can forgive you of your sins. But you have to understand. You have to believe. And there's some of you in here this morning, you are short. On belief. You just are. You've got something deep going on in here. And you're even scared sometimes. What if I ask God for this and He doesn't do it? You keep asking. You keep asking. What if I go to God and it's it's let me tell you, it's scary to step out into the world of the unknown when you start begging God for something. You want God to heal you from loneliness. You want God to heal you. You want God to heal your grandchild who's sick. You want God to touch your 45-year-old son who's locked in addiction and sin. Yeah, it's scary to start begging God for that kind of stuff, but I'm telling you, you do what the persistent widow did, and you go to the one that can change it all.